0: comes to mind when you think of humility, modesty, meekness. You might be surprised to learn that strength goes hand in hand with humility. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the close relationship between strength and humility as he examines humility's greatest enemy and its greatest example. To introduce today's message, A Life of Humility,
1: here's David, and thank you so much for joining us. It is a real joy to be able to visit with you every day. We've been traveling recently, doing events all over the country. And, you know, uh, sometimes people say radio is not as effective as it has been in the past. I think it's way more effective. I just saw some studies that showed how powerful radio is in even in our social media culture. And so being a part of this family that meets every day here on the radio is very special. It's a great opportunity. We don't take it for granted. We try to put every meaningful thing that we can in these few moments we have every day. I hope it's becoming habit-forming for you to join us at this particular time on this particular station so we can meet together around the Word of God and be encouraged. Knowing that you're there is a great encouragement to me, and I never get tired of doing What I do. This has been the core of this ministry since the very beginning, and radio continues to be at the center of it all. This month we are teaching A Life Beyond Amazing, but our resource for the month is a forward looking resource because it's the book Why the Nativity. It's been produced specially to coincide with the docudrama movie that we've created that comes out in just a few days. We want you to have this book. It has all of the questions and answers about Christmas, along with some incredible photos of how we kind of did this and how God is using this, and the excitement we have for the release of this presentation of the real story of Christmas. When you send your gift today, ask for your copy of Why the Nativity. You can also go to our website and find out more about uh, the other resource that is being taught, which is A Life Beyond Amazing. Right now, it's time for us to get started with today's lesson. Here is A Life of Humility. We have been talking about A Life Beyond Amazing, and we have been taking the list that is given to us in The Fruit of the Spirit, the descriptive list of The Fruit of the Spirit And we've been zeroing in on each of these characteristics. And today, I want to talk with you perhaps about the most difficult one to communicate. I want to talk with you about the subject of humility. The problem with teaching on humility is if you give the impression that you know something about it, you are no longer humble. (laughs) So as a fellow student of humility today, We explore this subject. Jim Collins, the Stanford University business analyst and the author of the best-selling book, Good to Great, conducted a five-year study exploring what turns good companies into great companies. He defined a great company as one that experienced a turnaround in which it financially outperformed the market trend by at least three times for a 15-year period. After he got done with his study, he discovered there were only 11 companies in the United States that made the great category. You can read about it in his book. It's quite a fascinating study. Many observers were surprised to learn that one of the key factors in all 11 good to great companies during the growth phase was what Collins described as level five leadership. That is leadership marked by two characteristics, and those two characteristics are steely determination and an attitude of humility. Collins records the puzzlement of his research team at the consistency of this finding. He said, we were surprised. We were really shocked to discover the type of leadership that is required for turning a good company into a great one. Compared to the high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, the good-to-great leaders seem to have come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, sometimes even shy, these leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. They're more like Lincoln and Socrates than Patton and Caesar." What great leaders exhibit is a virtue that is very commonly misunderstood. If you ask most people in our culture today, what does it mean to be meek? They will immediately give you a poem. To be meek is to be weak. That's what most people think. It's misunderstood. It's often confused with traits of negative or weakness that are crippling. So let's take a moment to clear this up. First, don't ever confuse humility with the lack of confidence or self-worth. Those are not humility. Those are low self-esteem. And these leaders who led these companies to greatness, one of their great qualities was the quality of humility. So it's not weakness. It's not inability. It's not being without strength. According to Pat Williams, who is the senior vice president of the pro basketball team, the Orlando Magic, and a personal friend of mine, He said, a humiliated person feels weak and enslaved, but a humble person feels strong to serve others. A humiliated person feels helpless and hopeless, but a humble person feels helpful and hopeful. A humiliated person feels powerless and dishonored, but a humble person feels empowered and dignified. Humiliation tears down Humility builds up. Humiliation is a tragedy. Humility is a choice. A second common mistake people make about humility is that it is self-deprecating. By that I mean you know the person, the one who always manages to remind you how humble he is, who painstakingly points out how he sacrifices for others, who purposefully puts himself down to manipulate you into complimenting him. That's not humility. That's a martyr complex. (laughs) I kind of watched this a little bit, uh, to be honest, growing up. My father, who was a great man, was not a man of great self-confidence. And so often on the way home from church on Sunday night, my mother and he would have this conversation. My father would say, Ruby, I didn't do very good tonight, did I? And then my mother, who was the sweetest thing that ever walked on this earth, she would tell him how wonderful he was. So he wasn't really saying he didn't do good. He was trolling for a compliment. (laughs) Right? We all have a tendency to do that. When we feel insecure, when we feel maybe we didn't do so well or whether we just need a pat on the back if we're not careful, we say, oh, that was really bad. And then we hope somebody will come up and correct us and tell us how wonderful it really was. No one is born humble. We learned that no children are born generous, and we all saluted that. We know that. But how many of you know children aren't born humble either? (laughs) Becoming humble takes effort, effort that is rewarded beyond measure. That's why the Bible tells us to seek humility. Listen to this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Here again is one of these evidences of the fruit of the Spirit that is commanded of us in the New Testament. Humility is not something that is an option for people who desire it. Humility is commanded of all believers. The Bible says humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, James chapter 4 and verse 10. And there's another verse very similar to that in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, men and women, if the Bible tells us we're to seek humility, it is obvious that we can find it, and we can learn it, and we can take comfort in this because humility is truly a challenging virtue. It will not come to us unless we pursue it. And with that in mind, the next step towards humility is to really understand what it is that we're seeking what is humility when we consider humility what is it perhaps my favorite definition of humility is this humility is the ability to use the power and resources i possess for the good of others not for my own good but for the good of others Humble people set and achieve personal goals. They expect appropriate respect and appreciation. They are not doormats, but they don't crave recognition. And their goal is not to be recognized more than anyone else. Humility is not thinking less about yourself, it's just thinking about yourself less. It's as simple and challenging as that. And in our day of selfies, and self-promotion and the building of carefully crafted personas on social media true humility is a rare quality let me be clear pretty much been like that throughout history let's talk for a minute just about the enemy of humility why is humility so difficult for us to get Throughout the Bible and the writings of the wise men and women of other faiths, the enemy of humility is pride. Most people are familiar with this proverb from Proverbs 16, 18. You may have not known where it was, but you've heard it. Here's what it says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I have seen that verse played out so many times in my life. So many times when people... Have exhibited a spirit of arrogance and pride you just sort of fill in your heart I don't know when but sometime soon it's all going to come unglued <laughs> one of my favorite professors in seminary was the legendary Howard Hendricks one time when I was with him he told me that he carried a little black book that held the names of former students who'd either defected from the faith or had fallen into sin He told me that he sought to understand if there was any consistent trait among them that would explain their failure. And I will never forget what he told me one day. He said, all but one of them in my book were proud and arrogant. Hmm. If pride is such a negative quality, isn't it interesting that our culture has taken this vice and created a virtue out of it? Muhammad Ali once joked, At home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know because humble people, I find, don't get very far. (laughs) Maybe you've seen that in your own life. Maybe you've seen it in the lives of your friends or coworkers. If you don't point people toward your successes, you feel like you might get passed over for promotion or people won't appreciate you the way they should. Anyway, what's wrong with having a little pride in your own work and accomplishment? What's wrong with being recognized? What's wrong with being praised? Nothing's wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with being recognized for our accomplishments. It's when the recognition becomes our motive for doing it that we are in jeopardy. When we can only feel joy in a job well done if we're noticed and commended for it, then we're not doing our best work for the sake of the work. We're doing it for the sake of the praise we get out of it. We're not trying to benefit others with what we do. We're trying to accrue blessing to our own lives. We're not glorifying God. We're stroking our own ego. That kind of self-focus steals glory from God, and it also steals away the joy of the person who does it. When we begin to need praise and attention for everything we do, our happiness is completely dependent on other people noticing and flattering us. And when that doesn't happen, we feel deflated and worthless and bitter and even angry. You would not believe over the years that I've been in the ministry, how many times I've gotten notes from people really upset because they did something I did not even know they were doing, and I didn't send them a thank you. I don't know how I'm supposed to be clairvoyant about all this stuff, but people are really, really sensitive. And we do our very best to say thank you for everything, but you can't always do it. Sometimes you miss it. And what happens to you when you do something and nobody appreciates you is your humility quotient. That's how you find out. In contrast to all of that, a humble person doesn't depend on whether others notice her efforts. Her happiness isn't bound to what others think of her. Humility eliminates the anxiety that comes with the constant need to strive for greater recognition, position, and power. Takes the focus off of us, puts it back where it belongs, on God and on other people. The anxiety that people feel because of pride is one that has a ravenous appetite. It seeks more and more. A little recognition, which was okay at the beginning, is no longer sufficient, and you need more. And it continues to grow. Appetite becomes beyond control, the appetite for recognition. But humility lifts all of that off of us, We use our God-given talents to serve, to meet responsibilities, to enjoy what matters, to challenge ourselves to grow. We see value in others, and we rejoice in strengthening them for the good purpose. We're spiritually fed by keeping our eyes and our hearts on God and on others. So in short, pride is always hungry and always has to be fed. Humility sustains itself. I don't know anybody who's really on any kind of a pathway toward godliness who does not want down in their own heart to be humble. We all want that, unless we're really off the reservation. But humbly wanting to be humble is hard. So let's talk for a minute about the greatest example of humility there is in all of the world's history. The greatest example of humility in all of history is the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to understand his humility, you have to remember who he is and where he was before he came to this earth. The Son of God, God the Son, at the top of the chain, (laughs) in the beauties of heaven, undiminished by anything or anyone. And the book of Philippians tells us that when he came to this earth, he humbled himself. And when he humbled himself, this is what happened. The first image we have of Jesus is of him being born in a barn, surrounded by livestock. The scene announces humility and lowliness and vulnerability and weakness and exposure. The last image we get of Jesus as he ends his earthly life is of a broken body hanging on a cross. The scene communicates humiliation and suffering and failure and to many who do not know the real story, defeat. Neither the opening nor the closing scenes of Jesus' life suggest anything but a life of humble service. From his birth to his death, he humbly walked on this earth and no one could even challenge it for anything he ever did or did not do. The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There is no greater illustration of humility than the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we become like him? How do we develop this quality in our lives? Again, as I said at the beginning, as soon as I think I have something to share with you by virtue of how you can become humble, I disqualify myself, so take it all in. I told you before about the guy who wrote a book on the subject of the 10 most humble people in the world and how he chose the other nine. There is actually a book out there somewhere with that title. Uh, I'm not about to flow into that. So when we read about our Lord's humility, it can seem like it's beyond our reach. But this quality of life is available to you and it's available to me. We can follow a few steps that are in the Bible. First of all, it's important for us to recognize our pride. Of all the sins against which the Bible rails, pride is one of the hardest for us to own. How many of you know it's easy to see pride in others but not so easy to see it in ourselves. Here's the problem. As soon as we think we've finally become humble, if indeed we have, simply acknowledging that we have made some strides in humility, we cancel out everything. In his book, Life Changing Love, John Ortberg told the story. He said, not long ago, there was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who pulled into a service station to get gas. He went inside to pay, and when he came out, he noticed his wife was talking in a deep discussion with the service station attendant. Turned out that she knew him. In fact, back in high school, before she met her eventual husband, she used to date this guy. The CEO got in the car, and the two drove in silence, and he was feeling pretty good about himself. Here he was, the CEO of a major company, and here he was an attendant at a service station. Finally, he spoke. Honey, I bet I know what you were thinking. I bet you were thinking you're glad you married me, Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a service station attendant. No, she said, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd been a Fortune 500 CEO, and you'd be a service station attendant. (laughs) If you have a good wife, she'll make sure you don't get proud, I promise you. That really stings. That is a stinger if I ever heard one. But if we're honest with ourselves about our own importance, that's a vital step, isn't it? The path to the amazing life of humility begins in the mind. It starts when we can honestly admit we have a problem with pride. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's a great word. He went on to expose in that section of the book of Romans how Christians in Rome actually were using their spiritual gifts as fodder for their own pride how they were talking about how they had better gifts than others. And in the church, where spiritual gifts are always for others, the members of the church were allowing their assignment of a great spiritual gift to puff them up into something they could never, ever, ever make right. In our own lives, how can we take a similar step and not face the same result? In our own lives, how do we protect ourselves from the growing cancer of pride that wants to take us all down? Well, I think you got to have some people around you like the wife of the CEO. Some people who are saying, you're getting a little haughty there, son. You better slow down. Recognize your pride. All of us are prideful, every one of us. It's the original sin. The Bible says, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud hearts, the first one. And pride shows up three more times on that list in one way or the other. God hates pride. Pride is the sin that destroyed heaven. When Lucifer said, I will be like the most high God, pride threw him out of heaven and started the chaos that we have in this earth today because pride is the original sin. Pride is the thing that destroys don't let it even get started in your life. And if you have somebody that you trust, give them permission to tell you when it sticks its head up above ground so that you don't let it get a head start. Amen. You know, if you're married right, you will never have to worry about that. Your wife is always there to encourage you. And if you get a little impressed with yourself, she will kindly remind you. I've been blessed with a wife like that, and I'm so very grateful. You know, um, tomorrow we'll come back and visit this again, part two of A Life of Humility. And then on Thursday, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving together. And I have a very special announcement to make on Thursday. I hope you'll join us um, when we meet together on that special day. I know it's a different day with a different routine, so you'll have to kind of make a note. Be sure to listen to Thanksgiving Turning Point. And um, we, we hope you'll do that so that we can share this information with you. Once again, our resource for this month is the book Why the Nativity, a 176-page softcover book, 25 chapters answering questions you may have about the Christmas story, including behind-the-scenes pictures of the docudrama set, the movie Why the Nativity. This is yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. We hope you will get it in time so you'll have it in hand uh, as you go to see this very special, uh, dramatic presentation. And I hope you'll be praying with us as we enter into something we've never done before. This is our first ever anything like a movie, and uh, we believe God is going to use this in a wonderful way. Uh, I need to report to you that we've had an incredible response to this in Great Britain. It's going to be seen all over Great Britain and other places we never dreamed this is going to go. And if uh, if you listen... We'll be giving you information about how you can be a part of this and be one of the first to see it. I hope you will do that. In the meantime, uh, we're going to take a little break and come back tomorrow for part two of A Life of Humility. And uh, we're moving through the closing uh, lessons in this series, so don't miss one. We'll see you next time. I'm David Jeremiah.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, A Life Beyond Amazing, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca/slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca/slash radio. Or call us at 800 946 4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy by asking for your copy of David's book and new docudrama DVD why the nativity sure to become a christmas classic each is available for your gift of any amount you can also purchase the jeremiah study bible in the english standard new international and new king james versions available in your choice of cover options get the details when you visit our website davidjeremiahca slash radio this is david michael jeremiah join us tomorrow as we continue the series a life beyond amazing here on turning point with dr david jeremiah Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than eight thousand study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb.
2: Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a Bible Strong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong.
1: We often see warnings on the label of some household products, and the purpose of a warning is to make us think twice before using the product carelessly. The influential British writer C.S. Lewis once issued a warning about Christianity. He said, If you are thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something that is going to take the whole of you. The Apostle Paul said something similar in Romans 12, verse 1. He urged his readers to present themselves as a living sacrifice to God. Sacrifices were not offered in part. It was either all or nothing. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the meaning of total commitment to God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.